nice to watch you come in in the morning. I enjoy watching it. I enjoy watching you take your seat and finding a place to worship with us. Like the front of our bulletin says, I hope you own that value of rest. And I hope this hour of worshiping together, we worship through music, we worship through the delight in the Word of God, we worship by giving, we worship in different ways, but I I trust that you will find rest today. And I trust the Lord will steal your soul. I'd like to begin today by reading one of the most beautiful passages of scriptures that I I think many of us have read. It comes from the book of Philippians. It's our call to worship today. Philippians chapter 4. I hope you find rest in these words. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness, or another translation says, let your gentleness be made known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding and comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Isn't that a good passage to start the day? I think it is. Uh, Let's stand. Let's stand by singing together um, a classic, beautiful hymn, Be Thou My Vision. Stand with us, number 562 in your hymnal. Please be seated. Well, good morning to you. It's good to see you again today. Thank you for joining us today at our at our Pat Chapel. Again, I, like we said before, I hope this hour is is restful for you. I hope that you're fed by the Word of God. I hope that you find um, compelling reason to invest in this body of Christ. Um, we are the body of Christ here in Stuttgart, Germany. It's a unique place to be. And it comes with unique challenges. And one of the things that I, that I think that we're all learning that's important to us is to unite together as a community. We're so diverse. One of the things that we're doing this week, if you happen to be at Kelly Barracks, most convenient for you. But if you have a heart for prayer and if you have a heart for connecting this, this community and, and really combating what we understand the scriptures to be is the is the true enemy, the spiritual realm. If you enjoyed gathering together in prayer, join us together this coming Thursday on Kelly Barracks at the Kelly Club at 8 o'clock. We have a, a wonderful guest speaker. He's a humble Christian man. His name is Bill Stegg. He doesn't even want his bio to be read. He's such a humble man. He wants you to just come and learn and pray and celebrate valor and service. He has some very inspiring stories. It happens to be the 80th year that the Dorchester was sunk. Um, Four chaplains are on that ship that day, and so we're going to tell you a little bit about that story as well. But come if you can. You've seen the bulletins here. Please RSVP if you can so we can plan the breakfast accordingly. So 8 o'clock, come early to get your parking spot over on Kelly Barracks. Another thought, I just want to make sure we, um, we don't forget to mention this. We did mention it a couple times in December and maybe a couple times in November. But whenever we have, it's, we have snow and ice on the roads, I just want to make sure you see that last little bulletin announcement that says, when the roads are red or the roads are black, we won't have a chapel service here. We'll probably make that weather call about 8.30, um, usually 9 o'clock in the morning. And so just check your Garrison app for the road conditions on snowy days, 
It's probably snow and ice this coming week, so just keep that in mind. Um, but other than that, some more important thoughts. PWOC is starting up again this week. You excited about that? Ladies are getting together back at Panzer Chapel, 9.30 in the morning on Wednesday. So lots of good Bible studies there. Please participate if you can. Come join PWOC. Also, I know they're about six months away from it, but Vacation Bible School happens in the summertime. And if you have a heart for kids, if you have a, um, how shall I say it, a understanding like we all do that Vacation Bible School unites us as a community, allows the new PCS crowd to gather in and, and make connections among families. We're having a planning meeting in a couple weeks, um, the 22nd of February. So just want to plant a thought in your mind. Anyone interested in the heart and the soul of a child investing in those ways and thinking how we as a community can unite together in late July, come talk to me. I'd love to just to, to see your interest. Also tonight, I think we have youth group starting again. Grady, you got a few seconds? Grady, our, youth, our club beyond youth minister, coming up for a second, Grady. We're going to talk about it, one couple thing. But also mentioned tonight, we have youth groups. So. Interesting. And there, there's a microphone for you. Yeah. People in the back here. First, I want to say there was uh, at one point words on the slide, but they got lost in translation there, so I'm going to have to, have to kind of wing it here. All right, so for high school students, if you're interested in camp, we've got one coming up. It, uh, it's going to be in Scotland. It'll be June, and I don't know why I'm looking at the slide, there's nothing on there for me. June 9th through the 17th, we're actually taking a bus, so it's going to be a, be a long trip. We'll get to spend some good time with your friends. Um, so we'll be at Karen Bray, and so that's a camp in Scotland that Club Beyond puts on. We'll be there with other, with other groups from other installations in Germany as well. So if you've got questions about that uh, and want to get signed up, please let me know. Uh, we'll be, we will be doing a youth group tonight at the Shootles at 5.30 to 7. So we'll be out there if you, if you are interested in going, you have to let uh, the Shootles know. They're kind of pre prepping for some of that. Um, just let them know so we have need people to kind of plan for it. But that'll be there, and we'll be kind of doing that every other week, so we'll keep you posted on that. And then uh, lastly, Middle School Club. We'll be starting this week on Thursday, 2 to 3 o'clock, right over here at the Chapel Annex, because uh, folks get out early on Thursday. So if you're interested in that, let me know. I'll give you some details, and uh, we'll see you there. So I think that's, uh, that's all. Thank you. Uh, we have one more announcement from a young lady in the congregation, Kate. Kate Porter, are you here? Here she comes. Kate and Maddie have put together a wonderful effort to unite our chapel with art. And Kate, come up here if you like, and, and she'll tell you a little bit about it. Good morning. morning. My morning. name is Kate Porter, and I'm helping organize our art display. So you have about three months to create any art that you would like. It can be a painting, a drawing, poetry, however God has gifted you. You can relate it back to our theme of the excellence of Jesus. So artists, put your thoughts to the excellence of Jesus. Think of a scene from his life. Think of one of the, um, the themes of our teaching sermons on the excellence of Jesus. Put it to artwork, and we'll showcase it for God's glory. Amen? Okay. Let's stand. Let's sing together. Choir, come join us, and we'll sing together in Christ alone. a great day to hear from the Lord in scripture. Our first reading comes from 1 Timothy, second chapter, verses 1 through 6. This reading can be found on page 839 in your pew Bibles. Page 839. 1 Timothy, second, 1 through 6 reads, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, Prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness 
and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Our second reading comes from Hebrews, fourth chapter, 14 through the 16 verses. This reading can be found on page 848 in your pew Bibles. Page 848 in your pew Bibles. Hebrews 4th chapter 14 through 16 reads, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The word of the Lord. Thank you. I enjoy every time you read, you read with such power and conviction, as God's word should be read. Thank you. Mentioned earlier that uh, we have a prayer breakfast coming up, and uh, it's fitting that we would read the scripture, I think, before a prayer breakfast. Um, this, this part of God's word is the, uh, among the pastoral letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. These letters are letters written by Paul to Timothy, how we ought, might live as the body of Christ, and how a pastor might shepherd the body of Christ. And it begins with prayer. Some of the first words that Paul teaches Timothy is to pray. And so I cannot emphasize this too much. Even if you can't attend our simple prayer breakfast on Kelly, unite in prayer. Make it real a part of your families at home. Individually, wherever you are, the way we begin your work in your office. Let's make Stuttgart a culture of prayer. That's how revival, that's how growth happens in our families and in our community. The book of Hebrews is also good for us to read, too, because it reminds us that Jesus is the great high priest. But he was tempted in every way that we are, but yet without sin. He's someone that we can relate to as well. Jesus is very compelling. His, his way that he prays, even too, if you read even further in um, Hebrews chapter 5, it says that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered prayers and supplications with, hear this, with loud cries and tears. Loud cries and tears. That's how Jesus prayed. And he was able to save him from death. And he had learned, he learned obedience through this, through his reverence. So, I thought if we, have, if we have a time of just silent confession before the Lord too, let's, first let's remember the, the, the excellence of Jesus Christ, the way that he prayed. He was tempted in every way. But yet with loud cries and tears, he prayed because he learned obedience through, through this reverence. Let's take a moment of prayer together, a time of confession, a time of being still before the Lord.
Heavenly Father, we need your Holy Spirit's help if we want to be men and women of rest. We need your help to still our lives down, to not be anxious, to, to give every thought captive to you. So we ask for your Holy Spirit's help today to, to do, help us in many ways, too. First, to, um, to empower our singing, to make our singing um, with a genuine voice of sincerity. We pray that in the way that we give today, it'll be, it'll be heartfelt and generous, as it always ought to be. And as we, as we pray, as we, as we meet together in a community this week, God, may it not be just out of, a, of an event, but may you create a spirit and a culture of prayer among the body of Christ here in Stuttgart. It's what we need, God. We need your Holy Spirit's help to unite us in ways that we can't do ourselves. And we stand amazed of the great high priest, Jesus, who has forgiven us completely, who has lived that sin, sinless life, the one mediator between, between God and us, that is Jesus. And so, Heavenly Father, hear our prayers. We pray through Jesus with your Holy Spirit's help. Unite our family and keep our souls at rest today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ushers, uh, would you mind coming forward for the morning offering? Thank you. Please be seated. I am so dreadfully sorry. I, uh, I realized I forgot to mention something really important about that offering. <laughs> Please forgive me. Um, today, the offering that was collected today, um, I hope you saw it in your bulletin today and you read it. And um, Again, my forgiveness, I, I misspoke, but... Today's offering went to a very special organization called Focus on the Family. Um, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, so I know you, hopefully your mind is prepped for it, but Focus on the Family is such, has such an enduring legacy in, in church growth, in community growth, in parachurch ministry in the United States and around the world. If you've heard groups like Adventures and Odyssey, that radio broadcast, if you've been in the D.C. area and stuck in traffic and you, and you turn on the radio and you hear those inspiring podcasts, if you have heard of the Operation Ultrasound, um, which has been funded by Focus on the Family to give medical facilities um, ultrasound machines and equip people for sonic AM training, Focus on the Family has been such a wonderful contributor to the growth of families. Christian counseling networks, the magazine Plugged In that kind of helps you understand if movies are good for your kids to watch. It's founded back in 1977 um, by Dr. James Dobson, um, and now it is, has grown to over 5,000 radio stations, 150 languages all in the world, so such a fantastic ministry. Um, again, my apologies for not uh, mentioning before their offering, but um, I trust that money will be spent in good ways. We send that to back to focus on the family. Our prayer today, our prayer time, instead of a corporate family, a corporate prayer, I'm gonna, we would like to focus on a family that we're going to pray for today. Josanna, would you mind coming forward for just a few minutes, few minutes with the three children? We would like to pray for you today. Um, today is your last Sunday here. And I thought about giving this focus of the time, the service to you and your family because of how much you've meant to us over the last several years. Please come forward if you can. And thanks for bringing brave um, kids to Ainsley, Isla, and Cassie and to you. Come on up. Um, Josanna has been here for quite a while, and um, she's getting ready to leave next week. She's a Navy family, right? And she's going to Rota, Spain. <laughs> so... If you need to go to Rota, Spain for a little beach time, I'm sure Josanna will find you a good place to go down there. I don't know any chaplains in Rota, Spain, 
But I do happen to know um, the Bloker family. They're the Cadence Hospitality House couple family there. Ben and Melody Bloker, they offer, they offer a, a house next to the Rota community. And I hope that you get to meet this family there because I know you'll be in good hands when you get down to Rota and your family. So just want to say thank you for you for investing in the ways you have. I have some pictures of you and your family. I might show this one. We'll look back on the screen. There we go. See that picture up there? Do you remember that? That's VBS right there. <laughs> you and Cassie. The tenderness of Josanna's love for her children um, is, has been contagious. Here, there's Isla hiding behind her little VBS sign right there. And here too, Ainsley too. You can't read that sign right there, but it says, Jesus is our hope. Happens to correspond, correspond with uh, Kelly Porter's sermon coming up, Jesus is our hope. So... Just want to say thank you, and I would like to read a part of scripture as a prayer for you today as we as we depart. This comes from the book of Ephesians. This prayer comes from all of us for you. For this reason, Paul writes, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named even the Lonham family, which is you. According to the riches of God's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as I know it is, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the height, the depth, the breadth, the length, the love of Christ, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. Would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we, we wonder what you're doing through Josanna and her family. We trust you have had her for a season. We have been blessed by her and her children. We trust as that she goes to Rhoda that you will continue this good work that you have already began in her family. Of course, protect her, but also grow her deeper. Grow her in deeper love for you and the excellence of who Jesus is. Um, she has lots of anxiety, I'm sure, as she packs up her home this week and moves to a new location. So, Lord Jesus, be with her as you promised to be. We trust your goodness with her. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This a little gift for you, too. It's a little uh, picture of our chapel. It's small but simple. Hope you find a special place in your home. And have a little message on the back. We've had a couple of new pastors that you've heard in the last couple of weeks. You heard Chris LePac last week, and now I'd like to introduce to you Kelly Porter. Um, Kelly is an accomplished pastor. He's been experienced with the Army for many, many years. If anything knows about, anyone knows about pastoring chapels, it's certainly Kelly Porter. And so um, thank you for, um, for your support of him, too. And I trust that as you hear his preaching, you'll be listening for the Word of God himself. That's what every pastor's hope is. So, Kelly, the floor is yours. Thank you. We're going to look at uh, Colossians chapter 1, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Colossians chapter 1. And before I start, let me say a couple of things. Uh, first, Grady. Sorry, dude. I messed up your slide. I resized it, and uh, I didn't know it took off your text, but mine looked perfect. Um, they're, they're pretty awesome. The second, there's a vicious rumor going around I need to destroy. Eric Bryan was not fired as the pastor of this service. And you might ask, well, why are you preaching then? Um, because he needed a day off. You, you may not know, military chaplains, this is not their full-time job to lead a chapel service. This is additional duty. So he's got to find some time at night and on the weekends to, to make all of this happen, which is pretty amazing when you consider what all he's done here at Patch Chapel. And he said, hey guys, 
I haven't taken leave in a couple of years. Um, could you help out? We're like, okay. What do you need? He said, I'm thinking about this sermon series on Jesus. That would be pretty cool. Let's talk about Jesus in 2023. And uh, we said, well, what do you want? Just, just line up the whole series and we'll come in as utility players and, and do, do whatever you say. He said, well, just start reading and whatever passage really stands out to you about Jesus. Just go with that. And I thought, well, that's pretty much the entire Bible. Could you narrow it down a little bit? So he said, all right, Lepak, you talk about Jesus is God, and Porter, you talk about Jesus is man. So last week, Chapman Lepak talked to us, uh, and he made this main point, that an infinite being must be God and must be our creator, and Jesus is that God. And then he took all of my material, so... Um, I, I didn't really have a sermon after that. But as he was talking, it, it really reminded me of uh, my time in, in Belgium. Anybody been to Belgium? Anybody lived in Belgium? Pretty awesome place. If you're offered an assignment in Belgium, take it. Like, don't even think. Just go ahead and take it. Uh, so our family was there from 2017 to 2020, uh, where I was the garrison chaplain. Um, and... And if you have if you have been um, if you've been to Belgium, maybe you've been to Shape. We send a lot of reports there. My office was on the air base in Chevres, where Sakir flies into. And the road between the two, between Shape and, and Chevre, was always absolutely crowded. So we always took a back road, which is really just a cattle trail. And, and there was this really wicked double curve that went through a little village called Manoui Saint-Jean. One day, driving through there, I, I, I noticed a couple of images that really stood out, and all that kind of came back as Chapman Lepak was, was talking. Uh, I wanted to show, show you that. So, driving through this town, you will see this barn, and it might be hard to see in the picture. Uh, I, I think all the barns that I saw in Belgium, at least, were are brick. And it's pretty cool. When they build it, they will uh, they'll put the year that the barn was, was built. And you can see that, maybe, kind of on, in that right picture. This one was, was uh, created in 1916. Anybody know what was happening in Western Europe in 1916? Yeah. Two years into this war, and it just struck me, here's a guy in the middle of a war and he built a barn. Now, why do you need a barn? Because you need to store things, crops, maybe animals, in the middle of a war. And you need a barn, a new barn, probably because things are going pretty well for you. Two years into this war. Now, the Battle of Mons happened in 1914, and they had moved on, Germans had moved on, into northern France and over across the, the sea. So two years into this, it seemed like not a lot was, was happening, but in this little cemetery, in this little village, there's a, a memorial for a, a group of civilians who came down from Antwerp, about a hundred of them. It was a bicycling club, uh, and they committed these uh, random insurrection terrorist acts. Seven men were caught and executed in March 1916. So it seemed like the war had moved on past them, but there was still a lot of activity in this place. And here's a guy who builds a barn. I know it just struck me in the middle of all of that. Um, and then if you go, if you look across the street from this barn, you'll see this war memorial, this war monument. There is Jesus on the cross, three ladies uh, at his feet. You can see close up there on the right. And that one struck me as uh, um, very interesting as well, because if you've driven around Belgium, there's monuments everywhere. Every little village has one. And a lot of them look like this. So this is in Brussels, the Anglo-Belgian War Memorial, uh, built by the British War Graves Commission 
And it, and it signifies the British expeditionary force who, who came in and fought alongside the Belgian army. So it depicts a British soldier and a Belgian soldier standing side by side, right? They're, this thing is huge, by the way. These guys are big, and uh, if the lighting were a little bit better, you could see their face, very imposing. Like, these, these are big guys, you know? So that's what most of the monuments look like, very, very strong and powerful and forceful. And <clears throat> if the armies had been like these guys, you know, the war would have been over a little bit sooner, but... Um, they pretty much just got run over quickly. And then sometimes you'll see a memorial that looks like this. Now, it looks like just kind of a blob from where you're sitting, and that's kind of what it looks like in person. This was in the village where we lived, in Grati. And it's a pillar, and on top it does look like a blob. It's just it's this mess of things. It's actually a gas mask. And if you remember those gas masks in World War I, that, I mean, it looks like a very ghoulish-looking thing, and then there's a couple of rifles there, and then a helmet on top of that. That's what that's supposed to be. By the way, this is in front of the elementary school where Kate took ballet. <laughs> Can you imagine going to school, and that's what you get to see every, every single day? It was a constant reminder that terrible things happened right here in this place. You know, you didn't have to watch the news and hear about the war across the sea. It was in your front yard. So that's what a lot of the memorials uh, look like. Well, this one says, Grati, 1914 to 1916, to its glorious fighters, death for the homeland. And that's what we like to think of when we memorialize people, right? Um, but back to this monument in uh, Monwishan-Jean. It translates the parish of Monroe St. John, grateful, 1940 to 1945. I've never seen any other war memorial in Belgium like this. They all depict strength and power and fighting and victory, even when there wasn't victory. And then this one, a little village with Jesus on a cross and ladies at his feet, and they say, grateful. Thank you. And it struck me the position of the ladies. There they are. After this war, they cost millions of lives, destroyed their country. If you go through the In Flanders Field Museum over in Ypres, it talks about, uh, it, it really wasn't until the late 1960s, early 70s, when a lot of the fields were able to be planted again, they were so contaminated. I'm sorry, 19, late 1930s, 1940s. The fields were so contaminated from all of the gas and munitions, just obliterated the country. And this little village says, grateful. Now you have to know the Wallonie region in Belgium is very, 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 very Catholic especially in 1940. And I don't advocate for Catholic theology and practice. We're kind of miles apart on some things. But I think this depicts the very essence of the Christian faith. That we look up to Jesus, especially in our times of trouble. And so who is this Jesus? Jesus. And we could go through a, a, a very technical description of that. But really, this is the question that everyone I've talked to really struggles with. Why is Jesus important in my life? What you're saying is nice and great, but why, is it, why should he be important to me? And I think going back to this image explains that. Jesus is our hope. Even in the worst of times, Jesus is our hope. And the Apostle Paul here in Colossians is going to tell us three ways that Jesus makes a difference in our life. Um, and you can see them there. So let's look at uh, this uh, first chapter in Colossians. And I don't think I have ever, ever read 
the message paraphrase in a chapel service. But as I was looking at this passage and and translating it, I realized the, the message is pretty spot on. When it comes to explaining this in in English, you'll see a whole lot of commas in in this chapter, and it just comes across as this really long run on sentence. It doesn't really make so much sense in English, but I like the way that he put this here. So um, if you want to follow along, starting in verse 13, it probably will not at all sound like what you're looking at, but we'll come back to another translation in a minute. So. Let's look, starting in verse 13. God rescued us from dead-end alleys and dark dungeons. He set us up in the kingdom of the Son He loved so much, the Son who got us out of the pit we were in, got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. We look at this Son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this Son and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. In verse 18, and when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Verse 21. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. At one time, you all had turned your backs. You all had turned your backs to God. Thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now by giving himself completely completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned in to the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. Every creature under heaven gets this same message. I, Paul, am a messenger of this message. I want you to know how glad I am that it's me sitting here in this jail and not you. There's a lot of suffering to be entered into in this world, the kind of suffering Christ takes on. I welcome the chance to take my share in the church's part of that suffering. Well, Paul tells us three ways, really, that Jesus uh, makes a difference. He is our hope, and he's our hope in a a whole lot of ways. I just want to hit on three of those here in this passage. Jesus is our hope, first, to know what God is like. Uh, If you look back up in verse uh, 15. But I want you to understand why he's writing this letter in the first place, and why Paul wants them to know these particular things about Jesus. Paul was writing to the Christians in this little tiny town of Colossa, which is in the modern nation of Turkey. It's about 100 miles east of the city of Ephesus, right there on the coastline. So it's just this inland town, small town, nothing real big and significant about it. But Paul had received a report from a pastor there named Epaphras. And he heard about the faith and the love of this church. He heard... Um, that they were devoted and committed, but he also heard a little something that that might uh, have raised a red flag. He heard that they were being pressured to conform to some kind of heretical teaching. And Paul doesn't say exactly what it is, but if you put all of his letter together, it seems like there was some kind of conglomeration of Jewish legal teaching and 
some mystery cult practice uh, and, uh, and philosophy, just man-made philosophy. You put all that together and it's kind of this man-made belief system that whatever group was out there was trying to force this onto the, these Christians. So Paul is writing to address that. And, and as a great pastor, here's how he responds. He, he tells them three things. One, he acknowledges that they've come a long way. They've really grown, they're faithful, they're committed, and they genuinely love other Christians. That's verse 4. In verse 9 he says, I, I pray constantly for you, and I want God to do an amazing work in, in you, that you know His will, uh, and that you have discernment, that you can tell right from wrong, black from white, it's obvious what is the right thing here. And then he reinforces the teaching that God had passed on to him, Paul, about who Jesus is. And that's where we pick up this part of the letter, starting in verse 13. So we learn from Paul that Jesus is our hope because he's the spitting image of God the Father. Just like him. The word icon is used here in, in, your, in your Bible. It, say, it might say he's a pitcher. Or he's an image. It's the word icon. And it can be translated in a couple of ways. It can mean an idol. Or it can mean a picture. And if you look at the rest of the letter, it's obvious. He's, he's trying to say that Jesus is a picture of this God that you can't see. I think of it a lot like a jigsaw puzzle. So Kate and I, the other day, had a few days off. We were working on a puzzle at the house. And when you work on a puzzle... What are the typical steps that you take? Well, you dump it out. Then if you're like a normal person, right? Not odd, people. If you're a normal person, you, you, what, you, you get all the straight edge pieces out, right? And you create a frame. Then the rest of them you, spread, you split up. Maybe it's all the red pieces over here, all the blue, you know, and, and you start to separate those. And then you fill in all the empty spaces, right? That's how... That's how real puzzle players do it, right? My first step is to look at the picture on the box to know what in the world we're doing in the first place. Like, what's the end result of this going to be? If you're trying to put together a picture of a grizzly bear in Colorado, but the puzzle is a picture of a fishing boat in Bangor, Maine, you're probably not going to complete that puzzle, right? The picture tells you what you're working toward. And what the end result is going to be. And I think that's exactly what, what uh, Paul is trying to say here. Jesus, Jesus is that, is that puzzle. Christ is fully man in the picture on the box. He shows us what God is like. He shows us how God is like. And he does that by the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in our lives. So what is exactly does Jesus show us? Well, again, that's the entire Bible. So... There's a whole lot here. Let me show you one example of what Jesus shows you God is like. You remember John 3.16. Probably one of the first Bible verses you memorized. Um, I, I, I want to I read that, but I want to go through verse 18. Because here, Jesus shows us that God is love. Listen to John. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. Very words of Jesus. So as you read through the Bible, ask yourself this question. What is this telling me about God and what he is like? And then how is that important in my life? You know, knowing Jesus gives you confidence when you do read the Bible. You learn about the real God who provides and cares and protects. So as you get to know Jesus, you get to know God. Knowing Jesus also gives you confidence when you pray. You know, back up in verse 3, back in, we're back in Colossians 1, back up in verse 3, we see that Paul had a daily interaction uh, with God. And in his prayer, he connects that with Jesus. So the more that Paul understood Jesus, 
the more he prayed. And the more he prayed, the more he was confident in God's plan for his life. Well, not only does Jesus show you what God the Father is like, but he is your hope to keep your life from falling apart. Now, if you raise your hand, but maybe you've had those times in your life where it seemed like it is all falling to pieces and it will never be good again. And by having absolute confidence in Jesus, we realize that he is holding it all together. Look at verse 17. Paul tells us this about Jesus. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. You see, once you know God, you can be absolutely sure of his activity in this world. What he's doing, what he's up to, and what your life is really all about. Paul had wanted the Colossians to have that same kind of prayer life, that same kind of understanding that leads to, to wisdom um, and discernment, to know what this world is about and, and what, what it means. It's in those prayer times that you realize God is not just a nice guy. He, he's not just that force out there who provides what you need, but he is the very power that makes this world happen and keeps it going. You know, every molecule holding it together, all of the forces in physics and the interactions and chemistry to make life happen, God is behind that. You know, we run around thinking that we're in charge of our, of our lives and we chase our, our dreams and trying to make them come true, but it, it really in all of our silliness and in, in, in all of our arrogance, uh, we, we don't realize that God is behind the scenes stringing together all of these events of our life to make happen what he wants to happen. You know, he puts leaders in position and gives, gives wealth to the responsible ones. He, he gives the physician a skilled hand. He gives the accountant uh, a keen mind. He gives brute strength to the soldier and, and, and insight to the commander. He does all of this. He puts people where he wants them and where he needs them. And on the flip side of that, he deters and he blocks and he, and he stops and he destroys the enemy from achieving his purposes. But in this passage that we're reading, it's, it's not, we, we, we learn that it's not just the Father acting, it's Jesus Christ himself. This was said about Christ. He holds it all together. He has the power in this world. He was there before the beginning of time. He was there during creation. And now he rules over this world. If you, we, we have a supreme allied commander. If you realized you also had a supreme allied God in charge of your life, we probably would live it a little bit differently. You see, God's control over, over nature is not just large and global and cosmic. God can also have control over your individual life. Dr. Charles Stanley has, has been the, the pastor of First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, since the year I was born. Uh, he wrote a book uh, not too long ago on emotions. And I've got a copy if you want to see afterward. Emotions, confront the lies and conquer the truth. And he explains the, the, the reason why you are the way that you are. He says this uh, in his book. God created us with the capacity... To experience the full gamut of emotions so we could enjoy life, share our inner being with others, and reflect his image. So when it seems like your life is just all over the map and you've gotten on that roller coaster of emotions and it's just up and down, Stanley described how sin causes those extremes. Um, how we have no really understanding uh, of how to use those emotions for good. Jesus had told his followers one day, if you continue to follow my teaching, then you really are my disciples. And, and you're going to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, we can be released from all those de devastating effects uh, of sin where we respond inappropriately, we make bad decisions, we enter bad relationships, and we just wreck our life. Jesus says we can have the abundant life that he came to give. And you might say, well, how do you do that? 
Well, Dr. Stanley takes us to Romans chapter 5. Um, hold your place there, and if you would flip over to Romans 5 for just a second, I want to show you what exactly it is uh, that Jesus did. Romans 5, verse 8. Because to be free, we first have to have a direct relationship with this Jesus and recognize that God took the first step in making that relationship. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God made the first move. Your life might have been in chaos, but God approached you about straightening it all out. The good news is, though, God doesn't just leave you there to figure it out on, on your own. Paul continues writing in Romans. If you go down to chapter 6 and in verse 6, he explains how from the very first time uh, you met Jesus, that God has been changing you and making you better. He says this, We know that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin would no longer dominate us. And then in verse 14, For sin will no longer have mastery over you, because you're not under law, but under grace. And in this relationship that Jesus provides, there's finally control, there's finally understanding, there's finally balance, there's finally purpose, there's finally God, I can make it. I've been buried under all of this stuff of life, but you're giving me a way out. Now you might say, that sounds good, but I still sin. I still do things that I regret. Does that mean this whole Jesus thing didn't work out? Well, here's how Jesus is, is your actual hope. When you look at Jesus' life, you see a perfect example of someone trusting in God the Father. And once we enter into that, uh, on this side of salvation... We're reminded of that, and we follow that example. We trust God entirely, without doubt, without question. We just follow Him like Jesus did. And then the faith that led to your salvation becomes a reminder for all of those days for you to put it into practice. You're going to need the same exact kind of trust in God that you had when you met Him every single day the rest of your life. That is how you're set free from the struggle of sin. God also reminds you of what uh, Jesus accomplished. <clears throat> back to Colossians chapter 1. Back to our text here. Look in verse 13. Here's what else Jesus accomplished. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And there's a very key phrase in that. It says, in him. All of these great promises of the Bible, they are for a select group of people. Those who are in Jesus. Those who have faith and hope and trust in him. Who have given, them their, given him their lives. And surrendered that kind of control. For those who trust him, God literally moves you from a sphere of existence in darkness to a place of light. From no hope and death and despair to hope and life and joy. God has literally moved you from one place to the next. And all of those promises of the Bible suddenly make sense. Jesus is our hope in a third way. And I'll close with this. He enables us to endure hardship. Look at verse 24. Paul uses himself as a sermon illustration of hardship. He has been beaten and arrested and thrown in prison and forgotten about. Uh, and he uses that actually to encourage them. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you and, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for this body, that is, the church. Paul has just described this awesome, life-changing experience uh, with Jesus. But then he says, here is where the rubber meets the road. 
I think it was back in September, our chapel did a family retreat in Garmish. Anybody get to attend that? That was a great time. It was awesome, staring at the mountains, going up on top, trying to not fall off. Uh, we had amazing music. Thanks, Ryan. Amazing music. Great prayer time up on that mountain. And then the weekend was over, and we came back to work and went to school. How have you been doing since September, coming off that mountain? That awesome feeling doesn't last long, does it? Because that's life. And there is destruction, and there is evil, and there is hate. And Paul wants you to consider all of that, that Jesus is not just there for the good times. Jesus was born, and he lived, and he was arrested, and he was beaten, and he was imprisoned, all for you. And then Paul experienced the same treatment. And now Paul is saying, it's your turn. Now, what could you possibly do to prepare for that? Oppression, hatred, mistreatment, maybe physical abuse. But Paul reminds us Jesus is our hope because he gives us strength to endure that kind of oppression and persecution. Paul wants God to fill up all of the areas of his life where he's lacking. All the ways that he doesn't trust God or all the ways that he doesn't know about God. When you go through a hard time, you can't help but come out on the other side different. You will see God's power in new ways, different ways. You didn't even know God was like that. You will learn to pray and trust and rely on Him at a much deeper level than you ever thought possible. And you come out stronger and ready with a sense of completeness. And in the end, you're left with even more hope than when you started now, you might be thinking, that's, that's still a lot, of, a lot of nice church talk. It's not making any difference in my life. Well, I, I really don't know what else to say to convince you that Jesus is everything. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish with this. A song that we sang when, when I was growing up, it goes like this. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Why do we not carry everything to God in prayer? I think because we don't think of Him as Lord. He, he, he might be a religious figure. He might be an, an, an academic discussion. He might be our cultural identity, but he's not Lord. And until he is, there's no real understanding of him uh, as hope. I want to ask you to do this. To understand Jesus as our hope, to truly understand that, commit for the next 30 days to do two things, real simple. Read your Bible and pray. Can you do that? Can you read your Bible and can you pray for 30 days? Take 10 minutes and do that every single day and ask God this. What are you trying to tell me about yourself? And then see where you are in 30 days. Let's pray. Dear God, we admit that we try to handle all of our problems on our own. We are guilty of leaving you over in the corner. And we have no real convictions about who Christ is and what your plan is for our lives. Forgive us for our arrogance and for not trusting your ways. Jesus is man. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is our Savior. Amen.